everybody, I'm Danny Heineman, campus minister with RUF at UW, and I am here with Kelsey Sullivan. And we are here to do episode two of A Story to Tell. A Story to Tell is a podcast that we are putting together since we can't be with people in person. And it's going to be a series of conversations between Kelsey and I talking about contemporary issues and ideas and trying to put them in their historical and, you know, biblical and theological context together. And the topic or the story that we're telling today is romantic relationships. You could call it dating, but it's not all about dating. It's mostly about like how ideas about how we, I don't know, enter into romantic relationships have changed over the years. Kelsey, why is this an important thing for us to talk about? Well, I think it's relevant because dating is a contemporary phenomenon, right? Like there's a story Mm -hmm. to how dating has evolved. Dating used to not exist. And I think it's interesting to kind of explore where the roots of this are coming from and why maybe it's confusing today um, or maybe it's not confusing to people, but sort of how it's playing out culturally um, in different contexts and in the lives of us as Christians. Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting because we're coming at it from some different uh, points of view, at least where we're at in our lives right now. So I'm, I'm 32, I'm married, i got three kids. Uh, you're single, just out of college, and, but we've both had experience you know, doing this thing called dating. Um, so well, yeah, I, we both have a story to tell. Yeah, we've huh, got many <laughs> stories to tell. Some good, some bad. Hilarious. But just to kind of get us started, I was wondering if you if you could give us some story uh, a little bit about what it was what it's been like for you to participate in this strange modern institution we call dating. Right. So I think my story is interesting because I have experienced both the secular culture of dating and also the Christian culture of dating. And I think it's important to make a clear distinction between the two because the norms and expectations in both are like radically different from each Mm -hmm. other. So before I was a Christian, dating was not really dating, if that makes sense. Like dates weren't necessarily part of the game or if they were, they were like, they came like later to the everything else. Like dating was like the aftermath of dating wasn't the first thing you did. It was sort of like these non-committal emotional and physical exchanges There were never, uh, there was never an angle in sight, or maybe at some point there was, but after having like your heart broken, say when you're like in high school or middle school or something, that like non-committal nature of it sort of becomes the norm and you stop expecting anything long-term. Part of it was influenced by what I had seen like in movies or seeing people like my brother and sister or people in my culture and community, the way that they were pursuing relationships, like looking back. So now I'm a Christian, like looking back on it in retrospect, it was a sort of unhealthy, like way of doing things. What were the unhealthy parts about it? Like what, you know, it's like the different ways that we pursue romantic relationships. Like, even if you just look at it through history, there are strengths and weaknesses to all of them. So like, what were some of the ways that you feel like it formed you, especially with regard to like your expectations for, how you should be treated or expectations for, uh, you know, the future, those kind of things. 
like, I mean, it was fun. Like dating was really yeah. fun. And, um, the non-committal aspect of it, like it wasn't all bad. Like I got to know people and that was fun, but it was usually pretty self-centered. And like my, I was never dating to protect the other person's heart or to like pursue marriage. I was doing it more like for my own, um, comfort. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about it was like, there was never like clarity. There was never, it was never defined. Like, it always felt like a game of cat and mouse without mice. <laughs> and so then it was like, once you actually caught it, you were usually pretty dissatisfied and then yeah. wouldn't last very long. So it was strange. And I feel like, you know, now that I've, I mean, I've, I came to faith when I was 20 and a lot of that was before, I mean, all of it was before all the dating I did was before I became a Christian. Um, and a lot of my, time as a Christian has been kind of like unpacking the hurt that I did to mm. myself in the season of my life without even realizing that I'd hurt myself. So, mm. but now, and maybe you can speak into this and share your part of the story. Like now I'm in the Christian world and like dating has become strange to me. <laughs> I haven't been really asked on a date in like four years. Yeah. Um, and you know, maybe that's because my convictions and my heart has changed in the, in like why I would even pursue a relationship. Um, yeah. But can you talk a little bit about like the, it's different. It's the same, but can you talk a little bit more about the Christian experience of dating, especially in the, the culture itself? Maybe yeah. not necessarily like the Christian motive of dating, but like the, the experience. Just the dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's plenty weird. It's if if dating in the non-Christian world is weird, dating in the Christian world might be more weird. So I think um, one of the important things to say about this whole topic, and especially when we're comparing Christian culture, Christian dating culture versus non-Christian dating culture, it's not the the comparison is not like one is good and one is bad necessarily. There are like plenty of crazy, insane things about. Non-Christian dating culture and Christian dating culture, you know, one of the things that I experienced, um, so I went to Wheaton College, which is, you know, a Christian a Christian college, and then I went uh, to seminary, and I was single at both places. I met my wife in seminary. And in Christian culture, there's this weird pressure. I think there's pressure in both situations, but the pressure in the Christian dating scene is this, like, you know, marriage pressure. Um, are we going to get married? <laughs> are we, yeah, are we going to get married? Like, my wife and I dated for two and a half years, and then we were engaged for about six months. And so it was about three years total before we, from when we started dating to when we got married. And that was like an eternity for our community in St. Louis, where it was a bunch of mid to late 20-somethings who were single. You know, people would date for six months, get engaged, get married six months later. And that was like not that unusual there's a part of that that's really good ostensibly dating is the point the point of dating at least when it started and maybe at least for some people was to like you know find out if you're compatible with this person so they could be your spouse but what it created is this just like intense like pressure cooker environment where everybody's always asking questions about you know how things are going if you're going to get engaged blah 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 and it was just exhausting. And in both, I think, really intense dating cultures and non-Christian dating cultures, they're, the way dating is set up now, if you are like a couple, you know, like a dating couple, there is this pressure. There's there it, it basically, it's like it has almost all the expectations of like 
marriage with none of the commitment that marriage also brings and offers to the two people that are involved and that makes people crazy. And I, I felt crazy when I was dating and I don't know, you may have felt crazy when you were dating. It just like, I was nuts. I was, yeah. I was not healthy. Yeah. <laughs> I it, really wasn't. It makes people insane. And that I think is common across Christian, non-Christian dating cultures. So one of the things that I think is interesting to think about, especially when like if you're in a dating relationship and you feel like you've gone insane, is to remember, recognize that this isn't the way that things have always been for good or for ill. So I think one of the things that would be interesting for us to talk about is sketch like a history of dating. We're not going to be able to cover the whole thing and like it, that's an impossible task to do. Basically, we're going to talk about like a very tiny selection of cultural norms that were once held to by a select group of people. So if you want to, if you're trying to look at in the Bible for tips on dating, you're just not going to find them because it didn't exist. Like dating as we understand it now didn't exist until like maybe the early 20th century, but probably more like post-war, like 1950s. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about kind of how that all developed. So if you look in the Bible, you, you there are, you know, there are stories of, especially in the, in the beginning in Genesis, there's lots of stories of uh, men and women coming together as husband and wife. But in this era, it, you know, in places like Genesis 24, Genesis 29, J- Jacob finding his wife, 1 Samuel 18, Joshua 15, all these places, the, the, the wife or the bride is given, given to the man, to the groom by her father in exchange for either like a service or a bride price. So David gets his first wife in exchange for killing a bunch of Philistines. Um, Right. So the the intention there is like sort of for legacy of the family or reproductive purposes, like the woman has really no choice and it's sort of just like she's being given her husband. I mean, they might might love each other, but it's not, that's not the basis of their relationship. So there are some exceptions, you know, and it's love is a lot less in view in this, in this dynamic, but it's not as if love was like totally absent. So one of the, one of the biggest exceptions, especially if we're looking in terms of like ancient Near East cultures, i.e. like biblical cultures is the Song of Solomon. That's a book or Song of Songs, whatever it is in your Bible or tradition. That's a whole book in the Bible that is all, it's, it's an erotic love poem that's written back and forth between like newlyweds. And so it's not a zero sum game between this kind of economic emphasis versus the romantic emphasis, but it was definitely like much more heavily skewed towards an exchange of some kind between the groom and the bride's family. So when was it that we started shifting out of this? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because as opposed to soulmates. Yeah. It's interesting because like in Roman culture, so when the church started, you know, around, 33 AD, the death and resurrection of Jesus, church goes out from there. You know, they're in a Roman culture. It was relatively stable. Like they had a pretty high view of the the stability of marriage at the beginning of the empire. But the time, by the time the church came around, which was kind of like late in the empire overall, there was still an exchange, but the payment had been reversed. Now the father was paying the groom instead of the groom paying the father. And, you know, by the time the church came around, it was like the the bonds of marriage or, or the level of commitment between spouses was like pretty low. There was kind of spouse swapping and that kind of thing happening a lot. And one of the things that set Christians apart in Roman culture was the way the their, their high view of marriage or the sanctity 
of the commitment that they're making to each other. So, you know, all different kinds of things happened all over the world. But if you jump, this is a big jump, but if you jump about 1,500 years, you've got something like Romeo and Juliet being written in the late 1500s, i.e. late 16th century. And that's kind of like right around the time that, that the Enlightenment in Europe is starting to take place. And you actually you actually feel the dynamic or the tension there between, uh, if you're familiar with the story, the tension between the the attraction of the couple to one another, but then the family dynamics that make that impossible. Like you can kind of see that transition happening. And then by the time you get into the 1700s, romanticism, 1800s is more in romanticism kind of starts to take place. But, you know, all these are time limits are relatively arbitrary. It's happening in much more fluid, a much more fluid sense of development. By, by the time you get to the 1800s, romanticism and this idea of romanticism was a, was a philosophical and, a, and an art, a movement in art. And what it was trying to do was reassert the like mystery of being a human being and the mystery that was kind of like internal in us. And you can see this in romantic paintings. So like by romantic, I don't mean like two people making googly eyes at each other. Romantic is like a lot of these paintings are like these massive nature scapes that are so big and, and man is like so small. And anyway, what they're trying to emphasize is that like there is this really indescribable aspect to being a human being and especially to love and and the experience of love is is sometimes like it feels like this internal like uncontrollable thing that occurs so when you get into the 1800s this like idea of a love marriage which is funny to even say because it's like to our ears it's like what well what else is there but this idea of a love marriage begins to take place this like this this union between two people that's primarily motivated not by economic expediency or you know the alliances of families or whatever it is it's a choice that two people are making to come together because they love each other that develops in around in in the 1800s this idea that there's this one person out there for you to you know, spend the rest of your life with. That's something that was invented. <laughs> right. There's um, a shift from workmates into this concept that we have today of like soulmates. Yeah. 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 That's a good way of putting it. Where I feel like, you know, there's good and there's bad in that. And the, the search for your soulmate, like it is this exploration of the majestic. And um, I think that that's what we're all looking for. And that's usually what we're, where we find it is in God. But um, I think the danger of us shifting away from like those diplomatic labor purpose marriages to the idea of soulmates is that we lose sight of, you know, that, that commitment and like, you know, yeah, when, when it's super intended, then like you're, you're, you know, you're paired with someone and you make it work and mm-hmm. you're sort of like a team and a partnership that kind of like moves through life, um, whether you're in love or not. And now with this, self-actualizing empowerment of the individual and the search for soulmates there it's it is a search right like we're searching for the majestic so i think uh one one caveat that also needs to be said is like a lot of what we're talking about with this especially when you're talking about the exchange of money or services or the alliances of families like a lot of our history of dating if there is like history of dating is mostly dealing with the upper class and one of the interesting things is like in the less wealthy classes of society, at least in the West, and primarily we're talking about Europe, because that's 
the best I could do in my research. But the the less wealthy classes, there was always a lot more freedom for the individuals involved in marriage. And it was really interesting because in, when you got into the 20th century, into the 1900s, the dynamic, the kind of romance dynamic of the lower classes began to be more appealing to the upper classes, these people who were tired of arranged marriages and those kinds of things. So that was happening. But then there was also uh, women were like in, in this whole story, women or women least of all had like any input in how this was going. When you got into the 20th century, women got were getting more opportunities to like to work outside of the house. Uh, and, you know, it's increasingly so as we've moved from like, if you just look at what things were like for women in working outside the house at 1900 and then what it looked like in 2000, like things changed really dramatically. And so women gained a lot more agency in this whole experience. And that has changed the dynamic pretty dramatically as well. And that makes me think of a book that I read in high school called The Awakening by Kate Chopin. And she was a feminist um, female writer at the turn of the century. And she was sort of pushing back against that idea of marriage and the institution of marriage and like kind of asserting herself as the individual mm-hmm. and finding her place as a, as a female in the world. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, if you're looking at just to compare like different eras, like in the 1700s, in the upper classes, if you were, if, if, a, if a man was interested in you, or if you were a young woman who was like eligible to be married, um, you were supposed to have some men like come over to your house in a highly supervised chaperone environment and you would like get to know each other. But if you had too many, then you were like a flirt and that wasn't a good thing. But by the time you get to the, like the thirties and forties, if you're, if you were a woman in like in public society and you weren't having lots of dates, then there was something wrong with you. And even when my dad, like when my dad was dating in, when he was in high school, we've talked about this a fair amount. Dating just meant like you were going on dates with different people. So it like wasn't a big deal to go out with one girl on Friday and another girl on Saturday because there wasn't this like expectation of commitment. Now, eventually, if you were really committed to somebody, you you started doing this thing that they called going steady, (laughs) which is... I don't know. It sounds funny to me, but that meant that you were kind of like, like defining the relationship. These days. Yeah, exactly. But so even that's, I mean, that's like radically different from the way we do it now. All that, all that is the, the purpose of saying all that is just to show like how dramatically things are changing in the way we think about it. You know, we're talking about the way that this whole dynamic has changed in Christian theology. You know, we, we talked about Genesis, Genesis two, a little bit at the beginning in Christian theology, marriage is kind of built in, to the fabric of the created order. Like marriage is given as this good thing. It says at the end of Genesis 2, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, right? Um, that So marriage is presented in the Bible as, as a creational institution, not something that was established after the fall. Um, and so it is this thing that we are made for. That's kind of what's implied there. And then in the New Testament, there are some, there are, there the Bible doesn't say anything about dating, but it does say things about marriage. So you've got, these kind of beautiful pictures of the this this two-way kind of giving of the self to one another in Ephesians 5 like the the vision that is given is like mutual sacrificial love given to the other and then 2 Corinthians 6 gives us this really vivid imagery of being yoked being equally yoked or being unequally yoked and what you want as a Christian is to be equally yoked i.e. you want to be 
you want to find somebody to marry that also has given themselves in faith to Jesus and to this vocation of the double love of God and neighbor out into the world. And if you, if you marry somebody that has not done that, then you guys are going to be pulling in very different directions, even if you really love each other, which is really right. hard sometimes. Which makes me think back to like the idea of workmates. Yeah. Like if you're talking about like being right. equally yoked, like even the, you know, the arranged marriages and the idea of being a partnership of labor, um, that equally yoked makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of the history. That's kind of like the picture that the Bible gives. I'm interested to hear your thoughts about this after I give my thoughts, but you know, I'm, so when I look at all this stuff, it's an interesting story. The import of it or the utility of it or the application of it is not necessarily to like throw off the, I don't know, heavy burden of dating or whatever. It's where like this conversation isn't about saying that dating is like irredeemable, not good, not useful. There are some like subsets of Christianity that have done that. And those communities, I think have all kinds of their problems of their own. And we're not going to really get into that. I, I think the utility of this is just like knowing that dating is not the only way for it to be and that dating, the system that we have right now, has strengths and weaknesses. And I think the, the important thing to understand is that like this institution of like dating unto marriage, Christian or non-Christian, it is forming you in certain ways that are good, maybe and forming like it, it's giving you opportunities that are good and it's maybe forming you in ways that are bad. So like it's good. I think maybe just because I'm a, by virtue of living in the 2020s, you know, postmodern individualist, it's good to be able to find out whether or not you're compatible with somebody. And that is something that dating affords you. Dating makes it really hard to ever actually make a decision because there's always, it's the paradox of choice, right? Like knowing that you have a choice means that it's really hard to ever make a choice because there, you're always wondering if there's a better choice to be made. And I know dozens and dozens of people who have been racked with anxiety because they're like, well, I don't know if I'm going to meet my soulmate, like, you know, the week after I get married. And it's just like, that's not what marriage actually is. Marriage, marriage does involve this like internal expression of your own affection, but it is also this institution by which you learn how to love the person that you give yourself to. So anyway, interested to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. So my thought on it is like, and, and this is something I've kind of formed in becoming a Christian. You know, I used to think about it like being single or being in a relationship where like as a Christian, like we're all not yet married because our ultimate wedding and like the idea of that like perfect union relationship comes from the promise in Revelations 19, which talks about the day that we will meet Christ at the altar. Yeah, we'll um, all be brides in a certain right. sense. And so for me, like, I think that my perspective in dating and marriage and relationships has completely and radically changed from when I wasn't a Christian, because now, like, I know that my waiting and my longing, like, there is a waiting and a longing for a relationship, but that waiting and and longing is a reflection of the promises that Jesus has already given me. And so whether, you know, I'm dating or not dating, like, letting the experience of singleness allow me to be faithful and ready to serve a husband, if that is a calling. Mm -hmm. Um, But ultimately like marriage and dating and relationships is are They're just like, well, marriage in general is like a small and inadequate picture 
of the wedding day to come. Yeah, totally. Totally. And it's not that it's not gonna like fix all your problems. Like you're gonna carry right. you carry all of your dysfunction into a marriage. And if you think that's not gonna happen, you are sorely mistaken. So it's not it's not like being married is akin to having air to breathe, you know? Like you can be a fully fulfilled human being without ever getting married. Right. It's like if one I think if we find our real purpose and satisfaction in like the love God has for us and how he showed that to us through Jesus. Like that is like, we'll never be satisfied until we fully grasp that truth or like at least try to like grasp that truth. Yeah. So if you're saying like, you're not going to find your end all be all purpose in a marriage or in a dating relationship, you have to find that in. Yeah. in Cause like I said, you'll just keep searching for the majestic in people and, you will not find it. Right. I mean, hopefully what you do find is someone who will help you, you know, on your journey to God. <laughs> like that's the, that's the idea in, at least in Christian marriage. So, well, I think that was a pretty good conversation. Um, we should we probably... covered a lot. You know, the early institution of our relationship was, it was, it was arranged. It was economic. It was, it was much more pragmatic. Yeah. It was pragmatic. It was like, for the family to have a legacy, mm-hmm. um, wives were a form of property and to be used as like reproductive purposes for, you know, the seed to carry on yep. where then love and desire was something that people started to acknowledge and it changed. And that's sort of the genesis of dating. Yeah. Yeah. And I think and, the, the really beautiful thing about a properly Christian theology of marriage is that it involves both the kind of externals of like commitment, regardless of how you feel in the moment with this like acknowledgement that we were made, we are like affective creatures who love more than we think. And they're supposed to be brought together in marriage. So I think that's, that's all we got on this topic. Well, thanks for tuning in for our second episode of a story to tell. If you need anything during this time of quarantine, you can reach out to RUF can email us you can contact us through our website but we're here for you even if it's just that you want to tell us your story about dating relationships hopefully you'll tune in next week for our third episode of a story to tell